Thank you, church, for having me today. I want to jump straight into it. And you've probably heard this command before, right? To love one another countless times in your life. Who's heard that command before? Love one another. Yeah, that's a lot of people. And it's said so much that it's easy for us to tune it out. Like, yeah, yeah, we know, we get it. Love one another. And if you read through this letter that we're looking in today, 1 John, and see how much he actually talks about loving one another, again, it'd be easy to say something like, John, mate, we get it. Love one another. You keep saying this. But if all scripture, all throughout scripture, it keeps telling us to love one another, then surely, surely it's saying something to us as people here, right? Maybe we need to be reminded to love one another over and over and over and over and over again because it's actually not so easy, because it's actually quite hard. Maybe it's our natural inclination to do the opposite, to think first and foremost about our own self rather than others. Like a car with bad wheel alignment, it takes you steering, steering it to stay on the road, but as soon as you let go, what happens? You naturally veer off road. And that's what it's like for us as Christians. We need to hear and apply the Word of God constantly over and over and over every single day, steering that wheel on the road. But as soon as we tune out, as soon as we tune out and stop listening, we let go of this wheel and our lives will naturally veer off-road. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful for this wonderful Sunday that we can gather here together as your people, Lord. I pray that let it be your words of truth that remain in my friends' hearts, Lord. Take away any words that are of my own and let it be yours that convict, encourage, challenge us as we hear your word from First John today. And we thank you so much for your love and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to read, throughout this sermon, I'm going to be reading verse by verse, basically, and we're going to follow along together. So if you have your Bibles open, again, please open up to First John chapter 3. And I'm going to read from verse 12 now. And it says, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. See, John calls back here to the early story that some of us may have heard before in Genesis of the two brothers, Cain and Abel, where Cain murdered his brother Abel. And it's a bit strange that John goes from talking about loving one another and then suddenly he mentions Cain. Now, some of us may have heard of this worldwide phenomenon movie that was released last year. Who has heard of the movie Black Panther? No? No? <laughs> Well, mate, you need to watch it. Who has watched Black Panther? I need to get a gauge of this. Great, because I can almost guarantee that when you watch that movie for the first time, as soon as the movie finished, you see the credits rolling up, and it, I'm assuming you might have watched it with somebody or you watched it with the people, and as soon as the credits roll up, you turn to your, as soon as the credits roll in, you turn to your friend and you're like, Wakanda forever, right? I know that if you watched it alone, I'm sure you went home and looked in front of the mirror and you're like, Wakanda forever, right? That's, that's cool. And that's okay if you watch movies alone. I do it too. It's great, right? But the thing is, if you haven't watched that movie, why that is important is because that Wakanda forever symbolizes the, the main character of the movie. It symbolizes him. And you'll see the actor himself. You'll see all the whole, throughout the whole year, the whole of 2018, in every single photo, he was doing this. Like, in the beginning, it started out smiling, right? Like, January 2018. By December, he was like... 
right? He's had enough. You just know when he, when he dies and he gets buried, he's buried like this, right? We, we all know that. But the, th- the thing is, every fan on the street would go up to him and just go, Wakanda forever. That's what he symbolised. For this actor, he epitomised Wakanda for the movie. He typified that. He typified Wakanda. See, there are so many murderers and evil characters in the Bible, yet John uses Cain as the example here because in contrast to love, the opposite is hate. And Cain is the first example of human hate we see in Scripture. Cain typified hate. And in that hate, he belonged to the evil one, it says. Hate finds its origins from Satan. Jesus' words in John 8, says that Satan was a murderer from the beginning. See, hatred finds its source in Satan. Not saying that we as humans are innocent to blame because it's all Satan's fault. Not saying that, but saying that Cain belonged to the evil one. It's saying to harbor hate in your heart is to be in the league with the enemy to belong to him because you're holding on to something that comes from him, hate. And in that harboring of hate, it often leads to action. And in Cain's case, it led to him murdering his own brother. See, hatred, what hatred does is divide. Hatred divides. It divides people in avoiding one another, being indifferent to one another, separations in relationships, At its worst, it divides enough that it takes life, as we've seen in Cain and Abel. See, hatred is is a selfish, insensitive attitude that shows itself in disregarding others' goods as I seek my own interests. And it's the mark of the world. It's the mark of the world. This hate that Cain typifies, that finds its origins in Satan, that always divides, is what the world stands for. Hatred is the mark of the world because at the core of hatred is the self-centered, sinful nature of all of us that says the most important in the world, the most important person in the world right now here is me. Is me. That's what Cain was saying. I'm important, not my brother. When we understand hatred as more than just an intense dislike of someone or something, but see it as something motivated completely by self-interest, it really shows itself as the mark of the unbelieving world, doesn't it? See, on the other hand, all around us there are examples of genuine love from people who are of the unbelieving world. Absolutely. You know, I've had non-believers, I, I know they're non-believers because we've had a chat as my car's broken down and they're helping me push. I'm asking what they're doing in life and they, they tell me their life and then I'll just see a car drive by past me while I'm standing there waiting for my car to get fixed and it has the Jesus fish on it. It's like, oh, thanks, brother. Thanks, man. <laughs> Probably Bryce. No, just kidding. Just kidding, mate. Bryce, no, you, you asked for that one by, by chiming in, right? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> see, the world may be motivated by selfishness, but we often see examples of unbelievers who aren't so self-centered, absolutely, who may often sacrifice themselves on behalf of others. Unbelieving parents who give themselves on behalf of their children. Unbelieving soldiers giving their very lives for their country and fellow comrades. People donating a kidney so that strangers might live. It makes us think that don't these examples of people contradict John's words about the world's hatred here? But it doesn't because our God is so good that his common grace is given not to just his own but to all. 
God is so powerful that he may exercise such influence that even an unbeliever is enabled to perform good deeds towards fellow people. That's our God. See, as Paul described a group of unbelievers in Romans 2, he says, do by nature things required by the law. They are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. See, love is one of God's gifts that he has not withdrawn completely from those that don't know him. Otherwise, the world wouldn't even be standing right now had he removed love from those that don't know him. The world would not be here. If anything, love, even within the non-believer, can and has served as a witness to them, pointing them to the source of it all. As Tim said on... Sorry, no. Not Tim. As we've heard recently before from camp, that love is from God. But the fact that God has not completely withdrawn his grace from this rebellious world does not contradict John's generalization in this passage. It's not a contradiction. That the world is marked by hatred. And in this hatred, John says, do not be surprised when it comes our way. You know, I lived in Canada a few years ago. And during that time, there was, uh, some would say, the fight of the century. And it was between Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather. So as if you don't know that, there was a boxing match, and one of, it, was a, it was a boxing match, match and a lot of the, those that are Filipinos, are there any Filipinos in the house? Man, that, I just call them philos, so it's, it's quick. I just gotta say that. But any philos in the house? No? Okay, I can say this then. No, 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 right? But all, a lot of my friends were Filipino there in Canada, and the thing is, I love Floyd Mayweather. So they invited me to a party to watch this, this boxing match. And I came in, um, got Floyd Mayweather shirt, and my friends were not my friends that day. <laughs> they were not. They would not laugh. They would not give me food. I was starving. You know, this is not how you treat a friend. But as soon as Floyd Mayweather won, I gave it to him, right? He won because he's the best boxer around. But the thing is... I oh, know that's a bit of a big, 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 big ass. I wouldn't ask that, say that here. But it reminded me, I only received a little bit of this hatred that day. It was pretty close to hate, right? I could see their faces. The friendships were very close to being broken. <laughs> but Jesus' very own words in John 15, 18 to 19, he says, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. Jesus' very words is for an entire life as a Christian. I may have received this tiny little big fun thing just for a night, but as a Christian, Jesus' very own words are saying, this is what you will get as you follow me. You will be persecuted for my sake. And I think it can be hard for us to fully grasp this idea that the world is marked by hatred. It is hard because we're in an odd time right now where actually it looks like the world is not marked by hate at all. It looks like the world is marked by the opposite, love. An acceptance of all things, all people, all life. We'll see social media going off on people who show hate and not love. And there's a lot of good in that. But notice that a lot of the world's love is centered on something. It's centered on tolerance. Love means accepting and tolerating people to live how they want to live and do what you want to do. That's the world's love. And that's how they see the love of the world. To live your best life. Do what you want to do. Love. 
doing whatever you want, however you want, whenever you want, as long as it fits into society's wider umbrella of acceptance of everything, of all. But Jesus' message doesn't fit into society's view of acceptance at all. Actually, Jesus' very message can be quite offensive because it calls us to not live for ourselves at all. Jesus' message says, live completely for him. Live for Jesus. To not simply accept everyone's way of living, but to challenge it. Live counter to it. All for the sake of who? All for the sake of Jesus Christ. And that's where the words, do not be surprised if the world hates you, rings true. Because much of the world hates the church when the message of Christ is proclaimed. The message that we can't rely on ourselves, but are in desperate need of help. That message, that we are sinners in need of a saviour, that we don't live according to the morals of the world, but we live by the spirit who guides us. That the laws, the morals, acceptance of this world fall behind the commands, scripture and words God has given us. And Jesus says, you will get hate for this because we are not of this world, but Christ has chosen you out of the world. Jesus told us this would happen and the temptation is for us to fold, to become one of the world as the world would love its own. And we'd no longer receive this hate. We'd no longer receive this persecution. We'd no longer receive these bad vibes that come to us as Christians. That we could live self-centeredly, just like everybody else, and we eventually become just like that, just like the world. We become marked by self-centeredness. We become marked by hatred. But it doesn't have to be this way. Verse 14 and 15 says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Christians, we who have confidence in having a new life in Christ and the church, if our life is marked by hate, just like the world, it shows no evidence of a new life in Christ. See, my wife, she works at Apple, and every day she's going to get a lot of customers coming up with an old phone, and they trade it in for a new phone. Imagine how they feel if she gave back the same phone. It's the same with a life. If a new life continues living the exact same way as the old, what makes it new? This here is not saying that if you've ever hated anyone or if a person is a murderer, they can't receive the grace and forgiveness of God. That's not what it says. This word talks about Jesus' grace on every page almost extends and extends to anybody and everybody. Jesus' grace is greater than anything. But John here uses the present tense. He uses a continual sense. tense. He says, if we continually keep feelings of hatred inside, if we continually hold grudges, hold ill will, hold jealousy, hold envy, hold selfish dis- disdain, if we continue to hold this for our fellow brothers and sisters, we actually don't have the new life of Christ in us. Our mark is not one of hate. Church, this is to you. These words are to you. We know that we are passed from death to life because we love each other. Not just general love of the world itself, but so important here is the authentic love of one another right here, 
love of one another right here in your church. Sitting next to you, sitting behind you, sitting in front of you. And I think we could all safely say that the church is, in general has not done a perfect job in loving one another. You know, we hear about countless splits. We hear about splits based off of hatred, self-centeredness, conflict. We hear of vandalism, public abuse, physical violence between congregations, denominations, religions. There's plenty of evidence of hatred as the mark of the church rather than the world. And it's sad and it shouldn't be like this. It shouldn't be like this at all. See, while Jesus has told his church that the world will indeed hate us because of him, how foolish we look if we ourselves hate our fellow brothers and sisters who stand in Christ. It almost makes sense why so many unsaved won't even entertain the idea of church when they see hatred, division, selfishness within church walls, right? We need to hold on to that steering wheel. We need to hold on because it's so easy to veer off. Love one another. This is why John keeps saying it. Love one another. Verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. While the mark of the world is hatred... The mark of the church is love. As Cain typified the hatred of the world, love is typified in none other than Jesus Christ. His death on the cross shows us real love, true love, the love of the Father. John 3.16, we know this verse. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son. And while hatred finds its origins in Satan, love finds its origins in God. 1 John 4, 7 says, love comes from God. How good is that? How great that is. You know, in today's age, people may give others a lot. Now, there's... um, uh, are there K-pop fans here? If you don't know what K-pop is, it's Korean pop music. I saw a really small hand at the back there. Mate, just put it up high, right? K-pop fans, are there Korean pop fans here? I know there's more. There's some inside. like, should I do this or should I not? Just do it. This, you're in a safe space. We're going to boo you, but you're in a safe space. No, we won't, right? But I used to listen to it when I was a lot younger, and my wife recently talked to me about the new stuff that's coming out, and I'm telling you now, it was better back then. All right, I know that's a big ask. Look, there are some songs nowadays that have the name Bombaya and Do, 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 Do. These are not song titles, these are sounds. Now, what this reminded me of was because back in those days when I was a teenager, there was a song that stuck in my head for the rest of my life, and I want to share this song with the world. And there's a song called Because I'm a Girl. All right? And basically, it's a 10 minute song, and what it, t- it, it tells a story. It's not, it's not just sounds, it's a story. And what happens is it's a guy and a girl meet, the guy's a photographer, and he develops, like the old school photographer, right? Does film and whatnot. The girl goes into the photography room, the, black, the dark room, and then the, she, she messes around with something and the chemicals fall on her eyes. And then she becomes blind. Right? This, is the, this is good music, guys. Right? <laughs> and she becomes blind. And then... You know, the next thing happens, it's all the sad music, like, I'm crying, whatnot, and then uh, she wakes up, 
and she can see. And by the end of the song, you find out why she can see. It's because a boyfriend gave her his eyes, right? And you kind of sit there and you're crying, but then after that, you're like, why didn't he just give one eye? <laughs> right. Right. That's what I thought. But look, take that part away, all right? It's a sad song, all right? It's not a sound. It's an actual story. So YouTube that song when you go home, trust me. But the thing is, that idea of giving people like a body part or giving people something is not totally foreign. Right? It's not totally foreign to the world. It's not unusual for somebody to give a kidney or give all sorts of things. See, further, some would even go to the extent of dying and giving their life to save another if it was needed. We've heard of this. But for a father to give away his very own son, whom he loves, and his son was completely and utterly innocent, given away to suffer one of the worst deaths possible in place of those who are guilty, that's something else. That is totally something else. And that's a love that only God could give. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. See, where hatred divides, love unites. Hate was at its core about self-interest, thinking about you and you alone, looking out for yourself first and foremost. But love here is described differently. It's laying down your life for those around you. It's looking out for others first and foremost. It's not self-interest, but self-sacrifice. Realistically, the people around you are not in a life death situation right now. Nobody's about to pass away or so. And that's not a usual thing in your life where you're in a life or death situation in everything you do. And while we may be challenged, often challenged, you go on social media, you go on BuzzFeed and you have these quizzes like, would, would you die for this person and whatnot? It's not uncommon to say yes. But, and if that time ever came up to give up your life for another, then you'd be faced with that question for sure, absolutely. But it's not usual, it's quite unrealistic. So John, what he does, is so awesome. What he does is he brings it straight to us in a way that is realistic. John makes it realistic to us. He brings it right in front of us as something we can do. Something weekly, day to day. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but in actions and in truth. Love is self-sacrifice. It's never convenient. It's not always comfortable. And it comes in many forms. Giving your life for another is an act of immense love. But it's not only through life or death that you can give your life to somebody else. You can give your life to somebody else daily for the sake of others, the things of your life. You can give your time. Hang out and walk around that person in the city who you know, you're uni mates with and you don't know quite well. You can do that. That's giving your life. You can give your money to support the new person who's just come here and moved here to Australia and is struggling to adjust. That's giving your life. You can give your wisdom to share the wisdom of God through your life to others younger who look up to you. That's giving your life. You can give your ears. Simply listen to somebody who can see, you can see that they're in pain. That's giving your life. Or your minds to help teach others who may not know a particular thing, may not know an answer. That is giving your life. Your energy 
You leave your house to midnight, go pick up this person that needs help. Again, giving your life. All these and more can be given daily for the sake of others. Self-sacrifice. And it's the word need that we should remember most. Love is finding out what another person's needs are and doing your best to meet that need. The need here, used here in this passage, requires you to, with all your will, understand what the actual need of is another person so that you may give up your life in sacrifice for the sake of another person. See, while hate divides, it's love that unites. Love unites. It unites people through practical deeds of self-sacrifice, and that is the mark of the church. To end, I want to use the example of our wonderful, wonderful saviour. See, to die for another, to give up your lives for the sake of another person can be very, very difficult. See, when Christ was being led to his death, he could have stopped anywhere at any point. We've read, we can read in the Gospels that he could have brought 12 legions of angels to his aid when he was being tied up and beaten to a pulp. He could have done that. He could have rose up while nailed to the cross and healed his wounds with a mere whisper. Christ could have done that, but he didn't. See, Jesus chose to suffer for us. When we suffer, we too know we worship a God who knows exactly how we feel, and that's what loving others is. A self-sacrifice. That means suffering for the sake of others. It will take a lot out of you. It will burden you. It will tire you. It will weaken you. It will pain you. But what differs from us and the world is that this love that we know, this love that we have is motivated by somebody who actually is himself love. We have a reason for this love that is out of this world. Our greatest lover, Jesus Christ. Our greatest lover. As it says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So friends, if the cross of Jesus abides in your heart, it will flow through you to others. And right by our side, we have Christ, our Savior, our motivator, our joy, who chose the greatest suffering to sacrifice himself for our sake. So church, let us grow in love for the sake of others as a church marked by love. Amen.